TED Audio Collective. This TED Talk features environmental policy expert Naoko Ishii, recorded live at TED Global NYC 2017. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Good evening, everyone. I am from Japan. So I'd like to start with a story about Japanese fishing villages. In the past, every fisherman was tempted to catch as many fish as possible. But if everybody did that, the fish, common shared resource in the community, would disappear. The result would be hardship, and poverty for everyone. This happened in some cases, but it did not happen in other cases. In these communities, the fishermen developed a kind of social contract that told each one of them to hold back a bit to prevent overfishing. The fishermen would keep an eye on each other there would be penalty if you were caught cheating. But once the benefit of social contract became clear to everyone, the incentive to cheat dramatically dropped. We find the same story around the world. This is how villagers in medieval Europe managed pasture and forests. This is how communities in Asia managed water. And this is how indigenous peoples in the Amazon managed wildlife. These communities did realize they relied on a finite shared resource. They developed rules and practice on how to manage those resources. And they changed their behavior so that they could continue to rely on those shared resources tomorrow by not overfishing, not by overgrazing, not by polluting or depleting water streams today. This is a story of the commons and also how to avoid the so-called tragedy, tra tragedy of the commons. But this is also a story of an economy that was mainly local, where everybody had a very strong sense of belonging. Our economies are no longer local. When we moved away from being local, we started to lose our connection 
to the commons. We carried economic objectives, goals, and systems beyond the local, but we did not carry the notion of taking care of commons. So, our oceans, forests, once very close to us as our local commons, moved very far away from us. So today, we pumped millions of tons of greenhouse gases into the air. We, we dump plastics, fertilizers, and industrial waste into the rivers and oceans. And we cut down forests that absorb CO2s. We make the world biodiversity much fragile. We seem to have totally forgotten that there is such a thing like global commons, air, water, forests, and biodiversity. Now, it is the modern science that reminds us how vital the global commons are. In 2009, a group of scientists proposed how to assess the health of the global commons. They defined nine planetary boundaries, vital to our survival. Then they measured how far we could go beyond we cross over the tipping points or threshold that would lead us to the irreversible or even catastrophic change. This is where we were in the 1950s. We broadly remain within safe operating space marked by the green line. But look at where we are now. We have crossed four of those boundaries, and we will be crossing others in the future. How did we end up in this situation? Well, my personal story may tell us something. Five years ago, I was appointed as CEO of the GEF, Global Environment Facility. But I am not a conservationist or not an environmental activist. I am an economist, and for the last 30 years, I had worked for public finance in my home country and around the world. I can tell you one thing for sure. During these 30 years, the notion of the global commons never crossed my mind. I didn't have a single conversation about the global commons with my colleague. This tells me that the notion of the global commons was not really entering into the big money decisions like state budget or investment plans. And I'm wondering why we have this sheer ignorance about the global commons, including me, myself. One possible explanation might be that, until recently, it didn't really matter too much. Even if we mess up some part of the environment, we were not fundamentally changing the functions of the Earth system. The global commons had still enough capacity to take the punches we gave them. In fact, the fish was still plentiful. 
the fields for grazing was still vast. Our mistake was to assume the capacity of the earth for self-repair had no limits. It does have limits. The message from the science is very clear. We humans become an overwhelming force to determine the future living condition on Earth. And what's more, we are running out of time. If we don't act on them, we will be losing the global commons. It's only our generation who are able to preserve it, preserve the commons as we know them. Now is the time we start managing the global commons as our parents or grandparents managed their local commons. The first thing we need to do is to simply recognize that we do have the global commons, and they are very, very important. Then we need to build the stewardship of the global commons into all our thinking, our business, our economy, our policy making, in all of our actions. We need to recreate the social contract of the fishing villages on a global scale. But what does it mean in practice? Where to start with? I see there are four key economic systems that fundamentally need to change. First, we need to change our cities. By 2050, two-thirds of our population will live in cities. We need green cities. Second, we need to change our energy system. The world economy must sharply decarbonize, essentially in one generation. Third, we need to change our production consumption system. We need to break away from current take, make, waste consumption pattern. And finally, we need to change our food system, what to eat and how to produce it. And all of those four systems are putting enormous pressure on the global commons, and it's also very difficult to flip them. They are extremely complex, with many decision-makers, actors involved. Let's take an example of the food system. Food production is currently responsible for one quarter of greenhouse gas emissions. It is also a main user of the world water resources. In fact, 70% of the today's water was used to grow crops. Vast areas of tropical forests are used for agriculture. This deforestation drives extinction. In fact, we are losing species 1,000 times faster than natural rate. And on top of all those bad news, one-third of food produced today globally is not eaten. It's, it's wasted. But there is the good news, good sign. Coalitions of stakeholders are now coming together to try to transform the food system with one shared goal, how to produce enough healthy food for everyone, 
at the same time, to try to, cut, to sharply reduce the footprint from the food system on the global commons. I had an opportunity to fly over the Indonesian island of Sumatra, and I saw with my own eyes the massive deforestation for, to make the room for palm oil plantation. By the way, palm oil is included in thousands of food products we eat every day. The global demand for palm oil is just increasing. In Sumatra, I met smallholder farmers who need to make day-to-day -day living from growing oil palm. I met global food companies, financial institutions, and local government officers. All of them told me that they can't make that change by themselves, and only by working together under a kind of new contract or new practice do they have a chance to protect tropical forests. So it's so encouraging to see, at least for the last few years, this new coalition among these committed actors along the supply chain come together to try to transform the food system. In fact, what they are trying to do is to create a new kind of social contract to manage the global commons. All changes start at home, at your place and at my place. At GEF, Global Environment Facility, we have now a new strategy, and we put the global commons at its center. I hope we won't be the only ones. If everybody stays the sideline and waiting for others to step in, the global commons will continue to deteriorate, and everyone, everybody will be much worse off. We need to save ourselves from that tragedy of the commons. So, I invite all of you to embrace the global commons. Please do remember that global commons do exist and are waiting for your stewardship. We all share one planet in common. We breathe the same air, we drink the same water, we depend on the same ocean, forests, and biodiversity. There is no space left on Earth for egoism. The global commons must be kept within their safe operating space, and we can only do it together. Thank you so much. For more TED Talks, go to TED.com.